Good morning, familia. Before we start, I want to remind you or, uh, about this little booklet that we uh, have been using for the last few weeks. Um, uh, if you are taking notes today, you can go to page 27. And I want to remind you that the pages that follow page 27 are the questions that we go through in our live groups. Now, if you lost your booklet or you never got the chance to get a booklet, um, I want to remind you that we have an app. You can download the, the app and you actually have access uh, to the questions and a place to take notes there as well, but in a, di in a digital copy. Amen? Today, we continue with our series, Upside Down Kingdom, uh, which is a series based on a set of teachings Jesus gave his disciples right before he sent them into the world as agents of transformation. This section of the scripture is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we, go, we are going to be talking about the concept of love. Can you say love? But not just any kind of love. Not romantic love, not friendship love, not just uh, the love that we may have for our children, not even the love that we practice as believers as we love one another. This is a completely different kind, kind of love. It's the love that you extend to your enemies. Verse 44 says that we are called to love our enemies, to love those that persecute you, which you are really going to have a hard time with this sermon. And I want to talk to you about two different things today. I want to tell you what it means to be to love and not to hate, will be point one, and what it means to be loved. So you won't hate. What it means to love and not to hate. And what it means to be loved so you won't hate. Let's go with the first question, with the first point. What it means to love and not to hate. Now before we start here, um, I would like to start with a question. All right? And I need you to listen to that question really well. What, what comes to mind, or even better, who comes to mind when you hear the word hate? Now, I have to give you a few seconds. Is it a frenemy? Is it a relative? Is it someone that you work with? Is it someone you trusted and that person betrayed you? Is it someone that was close to you? And that person hurt you and hurt the people you love. What or who comes to mind when you hear the word hate? Now, the reason why I have to start with that question is because I do not want you to hear this sermon simply as some, some biblical information. I do not want you to hear this sermon as something that that is nice to hear, but you don't have to practice. What I would like us to do is to approach this text with the mentality that Jesus truly calls us to love our enemies. And the reason why Jesus is calling you and calling me to love our enemies is for two main reasons. 
One is because that's what it means to be a Christian in a non-Christian world. He's calling us to go against the popular belief of our culture. See, our culture believes in the survival of the fittest. Our culture tells you that we are not supposed to show weakness. Actually, our culture tells you that you're supposed to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Which is super interesting because that's what the Pharisees says. That's what they said. But what's even more interesting is that that's not in the Bible. The Bible does call us to love our neighbor, but there is not one verse in the entire Bible that calls you to hate your enemies. You need this because that's the way you live your Christianity in a postmodern world. And the second reason why we need this is because that's the only way we fight our nature. Our sinful nature. Listen to what this scholar uh, said. Revenge comes easily to the human race. We have a natural tendency to retaliate when anyone harms us or even when the harm is in our imagination. Isn't that crazy? It is part of our nature to hate people. That's what comes natural to us. What comes natural to us is to exercise revenge, is to retaliate. That's what is normal to us. What is abnormal, which is supernatural, is that we learn to love the people that hate us. Now, Jesus here starts with the concept of love, and he uses a word that in the original, the root of that word is a famous word that many of you guys probably heard, and it is the word agape, which is one of the worst uh, words that is used the most in the entire Bible to describe God's love. But it's a, it's, a, it's a very unique kind of love because it is to have this honest appreciation for another person. It is to have this warmth, affection towards somebody. It is to exercise selfless love toward another person. It is the type of love that requires actions, not just words. It is the kind of love that thinks of another person before thinking of oneself. It is the kind of love that requires you to do something for somebody else's sake. Agape. But what's crazy about the text is that it calls you to exercise that type of love toward your enemy. Doesn't that bother you? It bothers me. So the reason why I, I had you think of a person that you struggle with is because that person needs that type of love and you need to exercise that type of love. In other words, I treat you, and I don't care. I don't even feel guilty about tricking you, because we all need this. We all need this. This is the thing. Unless you learn how to love like this, you will end up 
destroying yourself. What Jesus wants is to keep us from self-destruction. Jesus says that it is not enough not to say, I hate you. Jesus says that it's not enough to just to say, I forgive you. Jesus says that agape requires much more than that. Don't you love that? How many of you guys just struggle with that? Please raise your hand. Two or three, the rest of you guys are holy? I don't think so. This is a hard thing to do. This is complicated. But hold on because it gets better. It gets even more complicated. And if you are not uncomfortable just yet, just wait. Because Jesus here is very specific about how this love looks like. He's going to use application just in case we think that there are certain situations in which we don't have to apply this kind of love. So let me give you some here. From verses 38 to 42, he calls us to not pursue revenge. So in verse 38, he says, You have heard that he was said, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, I want you to listen really well because Jesus here is not saying that we should allow injustice. He is not saying that we should be pushovers. He is not saying that it is okay to be abused or neglected. If anything, the Bible calls you to the opposite. It calls you to pursue justice. It calls you to defend the afflicted. It calls you to try to fix the things that are wrong. So that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying, though, is that you are called, even if you are the victim of injustice, even if you have been abused, even if you have been neglected, even if it hurts, you are called to not fight to not fight fire with fire. That's different. The Bible calls you to not fight fire with fire. The Bible calls you to not uh, take the law into your own hands. The Bible calls you to not behave the way other people behave. The way I would call this is the Bible is calling you to the opposite spirit. So here are the examples. In verse 39, he says, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. And if you're honest enough, you will say, that's crazy. The Bible tells you that if someone hurts you purposely, you don't have to allow that, but don't fight fire with fire. Verse 40 says that if someone wants to see, uh, sue you, I want to take your shirt and you give him or her your coat. And with Bible is saying that if someone is using the law against you, that doesn't mean that you have to be a pushover, but we don't fight fire with fire. Verse 41 says that if someone is forcing you to go one mile, you should go two miles. If someone feels the entitlement of asking you to serve them, Serve them. Go the extra mile and serve them. 
Because we don't fight fire with fire. If someone is asking you in verse 42 to give or to borrow, do not turn away, Jesus says. He calls us to generosity without distinctions or without conditions. Don't fight fire with fire. Oh, Hannibal, that's crazy. I know. But there's more. He calls us to pray for them. And not just the quick prayer that you do for people. That's not what he says. Verse 42, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. And you have no idea how important this is. How important this is for your enemy and how important this is for you. Because it's really hard. It is really hard to pray for someone while at the same time you hate that person. Let me quote once again one of the scholars here. We cannot go on hating another man in the presence of God. The surest way of killing bitterness is to pray for the man we are tempted to hate. Actually, John Stott will go as far as, as to say that unless you learn how to pray for people, that unless, that unless you learn to pray for your enemy, not only you will never be able to love them, but you will never be able to grow into love them. Look at, look at what he says in his sermon on, on Matthew chapter 5. If intercessory prayer is an expression of what love we have, it is a means to increase our love as well. It is impossible to pray for someone without loving him. And impossible to go on praying for him without discovering that our love for him grows and matures. We must not, therefore, wait before praying for an enemy until we feel some love for him in our hearts. Let me pause there for a second. We don't pray for people just when we feel. If that would be the case, no one would pray here. We must begin to pray for him before we are conscious of loving him. And this is what John Stott says. Either you learn and you grow in love, or you will increase in hate. That's tweetable. Either you love and grow in love for your enemy, or you will increase in hate for your enemy. Oh, Hannibal, that's hard. I know. But there's more. He calls us not to pursue revenge. He calls us to pray for our enemies. And he calls us to love more. And from verses 46 to 47, it's really interesting. And I'm going to paraphrase. Because Jesus here is saying, if you only love the people that love you, and you only greet which is a word to say you welcome people into your home or into your life. And if you only greet the people that, that you love, what good is that? Even tax collectors and pagans do that. 
And the fact that he's using the phrase tax collector there is really important. Because these people back in the days, just as much as we do today, they loved to pay taxes. And the tax collector was someone that was a Jew hired by the Romans to charge for these taxes. But the agreement between the tax collector and the, the government was that he had permission to charge as long as he would charge what the government would require. He had permission to charge as much as he could or as much as he wanted. And everyone knew that. This was a crooked person. And Jesus is so radical as to say that if a tax collector could love his own people, we are called to much more than that. We are called to much more than that. Actually, the question that he posts in verse 47 is, what are you doing more than others? Who do you hate? How much do you love? See, what Jesus is calling us here is to extend the unlimited, unrestricted, supernatural love of Christ. Agape means we don't pursue revenge. Agape means we pray for our enemy. And agape means we love more. How do you deal with your hate? Let me tell you what it doesn't work, what, 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 what it does not work. Indifference toward the person does not work. Love works. Apathy is not the answer. Love is. Pretending that nothing happens is not the answer. Love is. Trying to avoid the person. You know when you come to church and you see the person there and you move all the way over there? That doesn't work. Love does. Destroy the reputation of someone else does not answer anything. Love does. So there's got to be at least one person in this room in which, that is asking the question, is this even possible? Is this even real? Is it possible for someone to love like that, even when, that person, even when the person that they're called to love is an enemy? Is it possible? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. That's the history of Christianity, people. That's what the Bible shows, and that's what the history of Christianity shows. This is not just a concept. This is real. And I have the perfect example of that. Dr. King. Listen, you don't have to agree with all of his theology. I don't agree with all of his a lot of his theology. You don't have to approve his lifestyle and everything he did. I don't. But this man knew how to apply this to his life. The day of his funeral, one of his friends, Dr. Benjamin, said this about Dr. King. If a man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed, living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, 
is locked in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet, this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind. And he went up and down the length and breadth of this world, preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. Here's a person that we ought to imitate. Here's a person that believed this and lived by this. This is not just Bible information. This is transforming information. This is much more than just liking a person. It's loving a person. Why do we struggle with this? Why do you struggle with that? Well, let me, let, me, let me just try to answer that. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we all struggle with this is because we want to be the ultimate judge. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we struggle with this is because we want to be the law. We want people to pay we want to determine what punishment looks like. And on top of all of that, we have a really, really hard time trusting God as the ultimate judge. You know, every time you and I pursue revenge is because we don't trust that God is the ultimate judge. Like if he's going to get it wrong, I have to make it right. We don't fight fire with fire. We have the ultimate judge. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, part of the reason why we struggle with this is because we ignore the effect of hate in our heart. We ignore the effect of hate for you. So let me quote Dr. King again, and I'm quoting, going to quote him like three more times, so bear with me. Hate for hate only intensifies the existence of hate and evil in the universe. Hate distorts the personality of the hater. For the person who hates, the true becomes false, and the false becomes true. That's what hate does. You cannot see right. The symbol of objectivity is lost. Hate destroys the very structure of the personality of the hater. I want you to hear me really well. Unless you learn to love your enemy, you become like the person that you hate. Unless you learn to love your enemy. You become like the person you hate. How do I know that? Because that was me. 15 years ago, my wife and I and a friend of ours are doing this mission trip to Guatemala, Central America. Or like you would say, Guatemala. 
And we were going over there to serve with this organization that served orphans. And many of the orphans there were there because their parents didn't want them or because their parents couldn't support them. That's basically it. And they would go see them maybe once a week. This organization had a school, and uh, the kids of the orphanage would, go to, they would all go to that school. So part of what we had to do in this trip was to go to this school every day, um, classroom by classroom, teaching Bible lessons. Remember, this is my wife, a friend of ours, and me. This is all we're doing. And in the evening, we spend time with them, play with them, and pray for them, and all that kind of stuff that we do in missions, right? But there was one particular day um, that I was giving a teaching on forgiveness, like almost everyone here, I would say, if, if you're a Christian or not, you have heard at least 20 teachings on forgiveness. And I'm giving this uh, teaching on, on, on forgiveness, um, and I start to share with these kids my personal story. Now, these are kids that have been abandoned by their parents, and uh, I've never went through that. I mean, I always have my mom. My dad is yet to be identified, but my mom I had. And I used the sentence I just told you. You must learn to forgive because if not, you will become like the person you hate. And the moment I said that sentence, I just started to whip like crazy in front of all these kids. Which, that's embarrassing. You're the teacher. You're the spiritual person, you know. I have a degree on forgiveness. And I'm weeping. And as I look around, two-thirds of the room started weeping. And that day, I learned two things. The Lord taught me two things. That day, at that moment in Guatemala, surrounded by orphan kids. Number one, we all struggle, actually three things. We all struggle with forgiveness. We like the concept of forgiveness, but we struggle with it. Number two, the Lord taught me and showed me that I had never forgiven the man that hurt me and hurt my mom. And the reason why I knew that I had never forgiven the guy is because I could not love him. I never prayed for him. I had never blessed him. It was all out here. It was just here. But not here. And the third thing the Lord taught me that day is that unless I forgive and unless I love, I would always be bound to my own misery, to my own pain, to my own hurt. Listen, I don't know what you have gone through. I really don't know the terrible things that you have gone through, but this I know. That unless you learn to love your enemy, you might become like the person you hate. That, unlearn, that unless you learn to love your enemy, you are bound to your own bitterness. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we struggle with this 
is because we underestimate the power of love. This is what Dr. King would say. Love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. If you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of uh, love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people and keep loving them. Even though they're mistreating you, there's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something that, about hate that tears down and is destructive. Choose to love. Choose to love. Love that ungrateful kid you have. Love that ungrateful brother or sister you have. Love your boss. Love your neighbor. Love anybody that has hurt you. This for me was freedom. This for me was freedom. You don't have to be the ultimate judge. Don't ignore the effects of hate in your heart. Don't underestimate the power of the redemptive love of Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why we struggle with this, it's either because we don't know or we have forgotten what it means to be loved. See, you could only extend to others that which you have. And this is my second point. The only way that we actually learn not to hate is when you know what it means to be loved. And Jesus is amazing here in this passage because he uses the word father in two different occasions. Actually, the word father is important, is, is incredibly important in the Sermon on the Mount. It appears 15 times. And Jesus here says, he calls us first to imitate our father. He says that you may be children of your father in heaven, verse, 40, verse 45. And then he repeats it again by saying in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And Jesus here calls us to imitate our Father, which is a Father that loves. And he also tells us that this is a sign of a spirit, a spiritual maturity. That's what the word perfect means. But this is what I've realized with many of us Christians, if you are a Christian. That we are way too quick to read that text. That there's something inside of us that believes that we find the power to be able to love our enemy by simply imitating the Father. But this is what I want you to hear. Learning what you need to do is not enough. Seeing what other people have done is not enough. That is not enough for you to want to say, I want to love my enemies. It's not enough. Do you know why it's not enough? Because hurt is profound. And hate is profound. It won't be enough that you just say, I'm going to stop hating. 
I'm going to be more like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Not enough. I've tried it. It's not enough. But this is what Jesus knows. That the only thing that changes your heart and it gives you the freedom to be able to love your enemy is when you see God as Father, as your Father, as your Heavenly Father. Jesus knows that the only way in which you, that you're going to be able to find the power and the motivation to love your enemy is when you see God as your Father. A father that loved you so and so much that was willing to sacrifice it all for you. A father that loves you so much that was willing to send his one and only perfect son to purchase your adoption. A father that, was with, that loves you so and so much that was willing to let his perfect son be humiliated, rejected, and executed to secure your adoption. A father that came looking for the very people that hated him. The tax collectors and the pagans. Which is you and it's me. A father that loved with agape loved. Allowing his son to go to the cross to die for you. That's the ultimate expression of love. That is the ultimate expression of adoption. It is only when we embrace that and we believe that with all your mind, heart, and soul that you have the power and the motivation to love the people that hate you. Listen, Russell Moore, um, it's a Baptist pastor, tells a story about how uh, he's got two adopted children that he got them from uh, Russia. And he tells this story about this one time that he goes to Russia to visit the, the orphanage. Um, and one of the things that caught his attention was that when he went into the orphanage, there was no babies crying. So he asked, why? And this is what they explained to him. Babies learn really quick that even if they cry and they cry hard, no one is going to come to rescue them. So they give up. They know that it doesn't matter how much they cry, no one is going to pick them up. So they give up. Did you know that because you have been adopted in Jesus Christ, did you know that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ or you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that will never, ever, ever happen to you? Anytime you cry, anytime you cry out, anytime you go to him, he would always pick you up. That's the redemptive power of love. That's what Jesus purchased for you. That's what gives you the power and the motivation to look at your enemy and say, I love you. Dr. King, right after he finished his sermon, he finished the sermon with this sentence. He looked at this congregation that had people that hated him. He looked at this congregation that had people that were racist toward him. And he looks at them and says this, I 
love you, I would rather die than to hate you. And he did. Doesn't that sound a lot like something that Jesus would say? And he died. That's the redemptive power of love. That's what changes you. Do you have that? Listen, people, you don't have to hate. You have been loved. You have a father. You are not an orphan. Do you have that? Let's pray. Lord, we are all wounded people. Every single one of us have been wounded. Our kids learn to be wounded the very moment they come into this world. For those of us that have been abandoned, Lord, we know what it means to be wounded. And therefore, Lord, we all know what it means to hate. Oh, Lord, but we need freedom. We need to see you as our father. We need to see you as the father that did everything to adopt us and show us what love looks like. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you give us freedom today. It is only, Lord, when we learn about the redemptive power of love that we are able to love those that persecute us. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say...